quite simple, really. You just need to show you some film. You mean like going to the pictures? Something like that. Welcome back, ladies, gentlemen, uh, to another wonderful episode. I am one of your hosts, Mitch. And I am Stefan, and this is Drag Mitch to Hell, the show where I inundate poor Mitch with movies that I really enjoy, but believe he will not like. And we are, of course, joined by Yovana. Say hello. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back again. <laughs> You're going to be here hello, always. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> You're not leaving. Thanks for allowing me to be omnipresent. Yes. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to be looking at uh, 2019's Greener Grass. But first, why don't we just talk about what we've been watching this week? Uh, Mitch, why don't you start us off? Yeah, why don't uh, why don't I talk about Your Honor, the Brian Cranston uh, Showtime Oof. series. Have either of you guys watched that? I've heard it's not great. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but my sister is obsessed with it. So that's the opposite of Stefan's t- take there. But let's uh, let's hear your take, Mitch. I think I'm kind of in the middle. So I'm seven episodes in out of ten. Um, and at this point, I'm really hoping it's a limited series. I don't know either way if it's, you know, if this is it or if they're going to do a second season, but I'm really hoping it just wraps up. But yeah, <laughs> what a great review. That's it, I by mean, the way. I just hope this wraps up as you review <laughs> the show. No, like, I don't think it's a, a bad show by any means, um, but I find myself as the series is progressing, having to suspend my disbelief more and more and in ways that I'm not thrilled about, or I'm just kind of like, oh, there's, there's a lot of everything needs to line up perfectly for this to really actually work uh, without getting into the details of the show. I don't know if you're familiar with the the premise of it at all. Yvanna, what's what's been communicated to you about this show? I believe he's a judge and has a kid who commits a crime and he covers up the crime. Is that? Yes. So okay. I guess th- I kind of spoil the first episode, which I'm sure is fine. But uh, basically, yes, he's a judge and his uh, teenage son, uh, ends up hitting uh, a kid uh, who's riding like a motorbike and kills him, um, but sort of panics and leaves the scene. And when they go to turn uh, themselves in, when Brian Cranston, the father, takes the kid to the, the police station, they realize it's the son of a big mobster or crime boss, essentially. And they think, okay, this is a bad idea. And he decides to proceed to covering it up. Uh, and then it sort of goes from there. But uh, but yeah, just in the in the cover up and all the things that sort of continue to happen as it goes, I'm just sort of finding myself pointing out things that I'm like, "Eh, really, like, how did you not know or anticipate this? Or like, again, if if one person questioned anything, it's the whole house of cards would fall apart. And I feel like, you know, maybe that's accurate to how this might play out. But yeah, it just seems a, a little bit silly at times. Um, do you mean like the it, plot is like a series of like coincidences that seem implausible or like i i don't know how to pull pull more out of you without spoiling like future episodes or anything like that uh yes yeah, certainly coincidences that are implausible but also things like uh that cranston's character is doing where it seems like 
someone might actually question this like he's trying to have a conversation with somebody and get in with them to you know get rid of some evidence or do something and it just seems it's so easy every single time for him to just like oh i'm gonna bring up fishing and i'm immediately gonna be your best friend and be able to have access to anything that i want and it just seems like this you know i don't know again if, if anyone questioned anything or just reacted in a different way which i anticipate most strangers would to this person um it, I don't it, like it fishing. <laughs> it all falls yeah. apart. So I don't know. Like it's it's not again. I'm, I'm making it out to be uh, you know sound really bad, and it's it's a mostly entertaining show. But yeah, again, I just keep finding myself as it goes on to be not rolling my eyes, but getting to that point a little bit and being like, I hope this doesn't drag itself into a second season because it really needs to just like clean itself up and be done. I think that's an interesting thing about in general about soap operas, which I don't currently watch, but I used to when I was a kid and teen, I used to watch like General Hospital and Young and the Restless. And there's that kind of like, okay, really eye rolly thing, but then it's also part of the appeal. I don't know if that's how you feel about this show, but that kind of rings a bell for me. Yeah, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's, a part of the appeal of the show like it seems with, with a soap opera like i think they know exactly what they're doing um with this i right. feel like they think they're it's really smart um <laughs> right sort of the ways that they're you know maneuvering around the situation and i don't think it is um but not to go on a tangent did you ever watch passions uh yes the soap opera? <laughs> yeah <laughs> What a fantastic show that was. That shit was out to lunch and <laughs> off the hook. I don't even have any more adjectives other than that. It was so wild. Are you guys actually, did you actually enjoy it? Or I mean, like... you couldn't, you couldn't not enjoy it, but in a way that you're like, I can't believe this. It's, it's insane. And it's so bad for anyone who doesn't know this show. It was a soap opera, except it had a lot of like super, it was a daytime soap opera that had a lot of supernatural elements. Like people would come back from the dead, which I mean, happens in some soaps, but they would also have like witches that cast curses and then like the doll double, that came like, to life. Twin wizards, like there would be wizards and like twins that are wizards. I don't even know. I'm just like <laughs> making stuff up, like haunted dolls, like just anything you can picture. Okay. Okay. Cut into this. It seems like uh, if there were a movie version of it, it would be something we would watch for this podcast. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about Slammed. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, so aside from Your Honor and the brief passions tangent, have you been watching anything else? Uh, mostly just keep going through through Shit's Creek uh, as well, which I'm still very much uh, enjoying. Uh, and then throwing on random old movies uh, while I'm working night shifts that just sort of play in the background. Uh, usually, just some action adventure stuff with the with the captions on because i don't pay much attention while i'm, while I'm at work. but uh you know d i went on a, a double feature of armageddon and the day after tomorrow uh, oh nice <laughs> yeah but that's uh that's about it for me what about you guys you better have at it uh let's see uh i watched uh ma rainey's black bottom starring oh, cool. the late great chadwick boseman very sad young uh death for that amazing actor and I quite liked it. I would have you either of you seen it? I haven't watched it yet, but I, I want not. to. It's quite good. Um, it's based on a play, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I forgot to check that. But the film itself is very theater play like. So in the sense that it takes place really in just one location. It's very dialogue heavy. Um, 
So if you're into kind of more theatrical staging, I guess you might enjoy it. But the performances are just out of control good. I mean, Chadwick Boseman, again, such a talented performer and Viola Davis knocks it out of the park. So yeah, that was a real like, I guess what you might call a, I don't know, elite pedigreed picture, like the opposite of the kind of shit Stefan watches. <laughs> so, you know, like a respectable piece of art. <laughs> Bring um, on the Burns guys, I'm ready. Sorry, I gotta rag you. You're my old friend and I have to, but um, uh, I really I'd be enjoyed happy that. if you guys were both insulting me for the full duration of this podcast. <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed that and I recommend it, but it did make me sad that, that Chadwick Boseman died. Oh. Otherwise, I watched some real trash. Uh, we decided to start, my boyfriend and I decided to start watching the new Bill and Ted, which we Oof. didn't even get halfway through. It was so bad. Oh. And like, you know, I know Bill and Ted's supposed to be ridiculous. Like, that's the shtick. And I'm a huge Keanu Reeves fan. I love Keanu Reeves. love the John Wick movies. Love him as a person. But this thing was just forced and, you know, trying so hard and not pulling anything off and not succeeding, even at being a reference to its own pulp cultural cliche. Like, it was just... It just tanked, so we turned it off halfway through. Wah wah. That sucks. Um, yeah. And then I watched the four-hour cut of Justice League. Really? Oh, yeah. uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I I knew you watched that, and I was yeah. tempt- I was tempted to also uh you know undergo that endurance test just so we could yeah. have a discussion about it. Uh, but I'm kind of I'd rather watch it through uh, your eyes right now. So just. <laughs> 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 I mean, I will say that we watched it over like three nights because I'm not going to sit there for four hours. Um, And I also think that I personally kind of watched it against my will or not as my choice. Like I was just kind of on the couch and, uh, you know, my boyfriend Corey put it on. He just put it on the TV and I was like, okay, I could leave the room, but like I could also just stay on the couch. So I so I decided to stay on the couch (laughs) And I mean, it's just such garbage. Like, I don't even know where to start. (laughs) Ben Affleck is objectively the worst Batman ever. Uh, You know, there's an epilogue at the end with Jared Leto as the Joker, and he's just awful, joke, horrifyingly, hilariously cliched, awful. You know, Gal Gadot is such a bad actor. Like, God bless her. (laughs) She's very beautiful, and that's nice to whatever extent that seems to matter in that industry. Um, But yeah, she's so bad at just delivering the simplest emotions and lines of dialogue. And then, I don't know, I guess the Flash is kind of a fun character because he's like a jokester and he's always, he's got all the one-liners that get the laughs. So like, okay, I guess I would watch a 30-minute cut with just the Flash and maybe some action. I don't know. (laughs) Um, I will say, so my review is that it sucks and it's stupid. I will say that the uh, villain who is named Steppenwolf, for people who know this, I'm not, you know, I don't know a lot about this universe. Uh, He is this like, large kind of metallic tentacled horned being and uh very aggressive and constantly has an evil frown on his face and i just found him very cute yeah like, it's adorable <laughs> so don't, i kept saying i want to have him as a little stuffed animal to like hold so <laughs> so it's kind of hard to take him seriously as a villain because he's grimacing and he's got claws and tentacles and he's got metal uh you know lizard skin and horns and i'm just like oh you're so adorable it's so funny when you're mad so (laughs) (laughs) so that's my review of justice league it's uh you know it's a good time if you want to kind of scroll on your phone half the time and make fun of it like you know that's that's kind of what it's for i think 
I was listening to yeah. another podcast and somebody was talking about speaking of like Ben Affleck is like the bad Batman. Uh, apparently somebody had said like, don't do. Uh, so he, he obviously wrote a Batman script and was supposed to be doing that after uh, after this film, I believe. But somebody told them not to do it because you drink yourself into a grave. So like <laughs> playing Batman would somehow like, oh re- like, yeah, like you know, make him dive further down the rabbit hole of oh, alcoholism. Uh, his reception was, like, particularly, like, acidic. So, you know, uh, you know, it probably wasn't a great experience to play Batman. And, you know, probably a good thing to abandon. Uh, sure. So you shouldn't pursue that any further. Leave that in the dust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I I won't watch this movie. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> my the taste Snyder might be bad. Cut. Yeah, seventy million dollars. <laughs> what a waste of yeah. time! Yeah, yeah, I I don't get it. To like, make to, and to watch. Yeah, so like, it, it, I I didn't watch it, so I can't say it's a bad movie. But I think that you know I could say via like meta analysis via all of the reviews that it is you know widely considered to be a bad film, uh, and it's been like. Elevated to a like a reasonably coherent narrative, and like that's the 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 end game of seventy million dollars being spent on this, which is like absolutely yeah. bananas to me. Um, so I mean, that was four hours of your time. Did you have time to watch anything else? Um, let's see. The only other thing I watched actually is a short documentary. It's about 39 minutes long on Crave called The Last Cruise. And it's about the Diamond Princess Cruise, which is where one of the world's first COVID outbreaks happened over a year ago. Uh, This was before anybody knew anything about COVID. It didn't really exist outside of China. And so this uh, cruise ship, as you might recall, had, I think, about 3,000 passengers and 1,000 crew members on it. And it's a really interesting documentary because it's mostly cobbled together from cell phone footage from the crew and the passengers, because obviously they were the ones that were recording all this. And I mean, it's a bummer. And I know we all have COVID exhaustion, so I certainly don't want to recommend it if you're if you're if you're not feeling <laughs> like talking and thinking more about COVID. But um, I found it really fascinating and depressing because there's such a huge class difference between obviously the crew and the passengers so the past you know everybody has to stay in their cabins but the passengers still get like catered meal service and they have balconies for fresh air while the crew is like below decks sharing you know 10 bunk beds and like coughing all over each other and so yeah just kind of it's a real life snow piercer pretty much that's an excellent (laughs) that's an excellent way of putting it a really depressing real life version of snowpiercer which is a movie i love for that reason specifically i think you know um exposures of the ways in which class affects like very real basic human things such as health and safety are uh you know kind of one of the big things that i'm interested in and depressed by (laughs) these days um But it was a good, tight little 40 minutes. And actually, one of the things I want to talk about later when we get to greener grass is running times. But we'll just put a pin in that for now. (laughs) I I hope you want to speak positively in terms of the the reasonable runtime of greener grass. But uh, we'll we'll see. You're going to have have to stay tuned. (laughs) Cool. Uh, Well, this week I I did a a slasher double feature uh, specifically with uh, characters who are stuck in the woods and being pursued by, you know, some, some awful knife wielding character. Uh, So I I first watched the forest, which uh, 
I would widely consider it to be like not a great film, but I enjoy it just on the basis that I really, really enjoy like the slasher formula. Like it just kind of like moves at the correct pace and generally, uh, you know, keeps me invested in their, their, there's clearly like established stakes for all the characters and it's just something easy for me to sink into. So I watch them like pretty regularly and kind of enjoy them. Uh, this one is not uh, the, the greatest film in the world. So I, I wouldn't give it like a, a, a thumbs up for somebody who wasn't, you know, expressly interested in slashers. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say go watch this film, uh, but it, it does have like an interesting conceit. So uh, this, this uh, the killer in this film is essentially uh he's been cuckolded by his wife and that is kind of like the 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 catalyst for what like drives him into madness uh and at some point he also kills his children so he has these these two version two two versions of haunting that that interact both with uh each other as well as him and then also the victims in the forest so uh, you'd imagine that you know the these 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 visual representations of these people would would be only affecting the the killer and and causing him to like kill people, but rather they are things that can interact with the the victims as well. So like the 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 children can tell the father where people in the forest are, or alternatively try to help them. Uh, meanwhile, the the wife who the children absolutely hate uh, is looking for the children. So there's these these like metaphysical creatures that are interacting with physical creatures that are also interacting with one another. Uh, and I find that mechanic like very very interesting. Uh, but again, not a good movie. Would not recommend. <laughs> but I like it. Uh, and then I watched uh, a movie that I would consider to be a uh, a sadly forgotten horror classic and it's due to a, a like a few different things so it's it's just before dawn this is a great slasher film i wouldn't say it is like on the level of black christmas but it is very very close uh and actually horrifying uh so the just before dawn is about uh, a, a, an rv of people going into the woods uh the the owner of the RV and the driver of the RV has claims to this land and he's going to basically like have a look at it and investigate it. Uh, unbeknownst to him, there are actually a bunch of like, kind of like, um, like Ozark uh, derisively referred to as like Oki kind of people uh, right. who exist on the land. And they're obviously like destitute and, and, and living very, very uh, meagerly off the land. Um, but there are a pair of twin brothers uh, killing these people. And the opening scene is like absolutely haunting. So the, the cold open of this film is uh, two kind of like drunk towny kind of characters who've been hunting. Uh, they come upon like a derelict church and are just kind of like drinking and, and looking to steal like the, like, I don't know what it's called. Uh, like, like it's the, the, the biblical lectern like what the fuck do you call that like i don't i don't know what it is in church parlance because i never went to church uh, but like the yeah. altar no, no the or altar like would be where the, the the priest stands right but right. i mean like the actual I think it's like a podium po- yeah I don't know. there's probably a religious term it's for probably it. a term for it. it i don't know what it is i like they, they they look at like stealing that as well as like you know candelabras and things like that um and then um the, the the two separate uh one person goes out of the church uh thinking he's heard something on the roof uh meanwhile another character kind of like opens a door and then finds a person with like a a serrated knife that like drives it 
underneath his like groins like from from his from his ass to his groin and it's like absolutely like disgusting and horrifying uh and then uh, the other person hears the the screams of this of this person and goes turns and basically sees the killer has put on like the victim's clothing and it's like this like haunting version of of his friend yeah and it's like oh, such a, a great yeah it's, it's very very good um the so it, it like aesthetically it much like black christmas it it is so competently put together that like this is largely just like a formulaic film that really doesn't do too much uh unlike black christmas there aren't like the smart uh you know discussions of like a, a woman's right to to choose whether whether or not she'd like to have a child uh there aren't like the socio-political issues of like you know uh you know somebody dating a a, a quote-unquote townie like the, there's a lot of like interesting things that are in black christmas that uh, are explored whereas this movie doesn't have that so i wouldn't put it on the same kind of like echelon but you know it is a wonderfully put together film uh comes apart slightly in like the towards the end but i would still say that like this is a great horror film um unfortunately it was put out by code red who doesn't uh, not unfortunately like they're not they're not a bad company or anything like that but they don't do a good job of like informing quantities of like units uh and like understanding like when things go out of stock or out of print so it had gone out of print for a very very long time but kino uh in collaboration with like code red had put out like another one so i like ended up purchasing a, a blu-ray but uh, it's a bit harder to see. I don't think it's on any streaming services. Um, but, you know, uh, by the way, we're in Canada, so uh, there's no Canadian streaming uh, options. And I don't have like a, a Nord VPN or whatever to like alter our, the, the region that I'm watching. Uh, Maybe you can like, hold a screening for us sometime when we're allowed to gather again indoors at whatever go. time that, that may be. Yeah, I Make think this is popcorn a, for us. Yeah, this is a, uh, honestly like a really wonderful haunting moment. There's There is like a few things that, might be that i find horrifying that might not be might not resonate so well so there's a character who is like uh killed and when uh they go back to investigate the body he's been moved and they've put like aviator sunglasses on him and and sort of stand him up against a tree so he kind of looks almost like we could have birdie-esque or like stephen (laughs) colbert doing uh joe biden i don't know if you you're aware of like him you know mimicking joe biden putting on the aviators doing his like old bad voice but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like that. Uh so you know, with this new context, uh both of like Weekend at Bernie that came afterwards, uh, as well as Joe Biden, uh played by Stephen Colbert, uh, it might not work so well, but I still did find it like quite funny. Or sorry, sorry, quite horrifying, not funny. <laughs> Uh, so I watched those two slashers and then uh, the based on our conversations about uh water scarcity talking about background and then you know we're, you made a, a joke about you know like oh yeah we could also talk about chinatown or something like that i decided i wanted to watch chinatown so i put nice. that i put that back on and i didn't re- like i completely forgot about how uh downbeat the ending is yeah yeah like i, I remembered um uh shelly duvall's character getting shot uh it's shelly duvall right um no remember. are you thinking of the the main um, woman yes it's um Laura, uh, Laura, Lauren no what's oh, her name Lauren Bacall no, no it's, not, it's um Jeez. God what is her name I, I, she's the um she's awful, with Warren Beatty awful. in the um crime Faye couple Faye Dunaway thank you Faye Dunaway thank okay. you 
Okay, so that's uh, so hard for us. <laughs> I know it, it shouldn't be. I'm awful with names, but um, uh, when I know I knew Faye Dunaway got shot in the end, um, but I completely forgot that her, you know, spoiler for a movie that's you know over 40 years old at this point, but her her daughter slash sister because of the John Huston's character uh, of Noah Cross, you know, raping Faye Dunaway's Evelyn Mulray. Uh, and producing the, the incestuous child, uh, I completely forgot that John Houston kind of like wraps her up and takes her away in the end. So you have like yeah, this, it's like fucked up. Yeah, it's so fucked up. I completely forgot about that. Uh, but you know, such a good movie. You know, afterwards, and and uh, I, I'd like to read more about it because there's obviously a lot of like overt commentary on on you know racism that's super you know uh, a great conversation today about yeah like anti-asian sentiment that you know uh, yeah absolutely would be a super great topic to explore but i, I didn't have any time to i've been super busy guys you've been <laughs> yeah, working a lot like i know it. you have yeah um but i luckily had this weekend off so uh, I'm, I'm stoked to be talking to you guys nice fantastic yeah, so how about we get into this week's movie? What are you, how are you guys thinking? I'm ready to roll. Let's do it. All right, solid. So from a seemingly brighter time, we have 2019's Greener Grass. Okay, Dennis, take a step to your left. Bob, let's see that smile. Don't you talk about my facelift. She doesn't smile anymore. Oh, I'm losing Twilson. If you could just rotate him forward for me, perfect. I'm never a first. Julian, what is he doing? Julian, are you a dog now? It's him. Oh, Julian, you need your glasses to see the board. I am Miss Cuban. I have Julian here. He's a dog now. Hi, Julian. Raja, you can play with Julian at recess. So fast, it's incredible. Oh, that's who you were meant to be. My son. Julian's not invited back to Rocket Math. Did you think he was going to become an accountant? Wait a second. Wrong husband. What's he doing? Lisa, you kiss like your friend. She's so cute. Lisa, do you want her? Are you sure? Take her. She's yours now. Thank you so much. <laughs> Enjoy. Would it be possible for me to get the baby I gave you back? I don't know, Jill. It doesn't hurt to ask, right? It did hurt. I didn't like it. Julian, watch up. Dinner's ready. No, it's not. Is everything OK? Jill, are you happy? I don't know. Maybe you should get a divorce. <gasps> yes! I have to get out of here. Out of bounds. So the reason I picked this movie is that, you know, uh, when we talked about Malibu Express on our last episode, uh, talking about how, you know, good, bad comedy uh, is divisive because comedy in general is very divisive. I thought that that would be kind of a, uh, a, a interesting thing to explore. And also we haven't done like an actual straight, like intended comedy yet. And we also haven't really done a movie that's, you know, a, a pretty recent release. I thought, you know, those two things should 
uh, you know, be tackled in an episode. So I, I, I saw this movie, I think, early, despite its 2019 release, I saw it in early 2020 pre-COVID in a theater. And I I thought it was really good, but I didn't love it. Um, and then, uh, you know, on this rewatch, I think I'm, I now officially love this movie and I'm super glad to to talk about it. But uh, I also think that because this is a particularly kind of like an a, absurdist, you know, David Lynch by way of John Waters, uh, I think it's a good movie to get underneath your skin, Mitch. Um, but but <laughs> before we get into your general thoughts, Yvanna, had you heard about this movie before? I had never heard about it until you suggested it. No. So uh, first time watching, first time hearing about it. I recognized a couple of the performers in it, obviously, who uh, there's an SNL cast member and, and Darcy, what's her name, who's in The Good Place. So that was nice to see some familiar faces that I'm a fan of. Um, but no, never, never heard about it. Yeah, I love her. Uh, the the person from The Good Place is Miss Human. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into this. But uh, but first, Mitch, uh, just general thoughts, you know, thumbs up, down. Had you seen it before, aware of it, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so completely unaware that this movie existed until you mentioned it uh, on the show before. Um, in terms of very general thumbs up, thumbs down, it's, I don't know, it's probably a, a slight thumbs down for me. Slight? Yes. Don't do this to me. Give me a full slight, thumbs down. Slight thumbs down. <laughs> so would you say that you have not been totally dragged to hell you've just been Not somewhat entirely. led in the vague direction of hell you've been, sh- <laughs> yeah, been shouldered closer to hell that's right gently nudged towards in the vicinity of hell i think it was very accurate uh, descriptions of how i'm feeling yes <laughs> okay cool I'll, I'll take that as a, a a slight win and just because i need it at this point right. um but all right so let's go to this movie a little bit and we can talk about it as we go uh so uh, the following movie takes place in kind of a, like I said, a John Waters by way of David Lynch, circa kind of like Blue Velvet suburbia. This is a place where adults wear braces as kind of a status symbol, a place where golf carts are the main means of conveyance. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, when they meet at like a four-way stop, it's kind of like a an exchange of niceties of like, oh, you can go first, oh, you can go first, and nobody really goes anywhere, and that's kind of what this place is, you know. It, it's it's a place where commercials and television programs are satirized into oblivion uh and, and ifc who put this movie out dubs the dubs it as kind of like stepford wives on acid and i'd call that essentially accurate so that's kind of the world that we exist in this isn't obviously reality this is something wildly different and because of that a lot of the interactions uh between characters isn't what I would call normal. Uh, I think everybody would agree to that. Yes. yes. Far, far <laughs> from it. Yeah, good. Um, so uh, we basically open at uh, a game of Little League soccer, and we're introduced to our two main characters, Jill, played by Jocelyn DeBeer, who is cradling her baby Madison, as well as Lisa, played by Don Lube. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Uh, if it's wrong, I apologize. Sorry, Don. Yeah, sorry, Don. Um, It's clear there's a lopsided power dynamic between the two where Lisa is kind of envious of Jill's life. Um, It's also important to note that because this again exists in a weird reality, both Lisa and Jill wear the aforementioned adult braces. Uh, Meanwhile, Jill and Lisa gossip about the killing of Cheryl, the local yoga teacher. 
apparently uh, a local bag boy has kind of been, uh, you know, thumbed as like the, the culprit of this, uh, of this, of this crime. Uh, the two compete for relevance. Lisa saying she must have gone there to the grocery store every day to which Jill offers. She probably has groceries in her house that this bag boy has touched. Lisa offers her final rebuttal saying that she has groceries in her cart that are likely, that have likely been touched by the, the bag boy. Uh, I, I love so much about this, um, but we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, during the game, Jill's son, Julian played by Julian Hilliard and, uh, he's likely most known as the young future addict on The Haunting of Hill House. Julian fakes a foul only to be told by his mother to get back up. Uh, you, young Julian watches on as Jill then offers uh, her newborn baby Madison to Lisa, who after some convincing agrees to take the baby. Uh, at the end of this, we see uh, a killer POV uttering almost kind of like Black Christmas level nonsense uh, as as they watch Jill. Uh, so just general thoughts here, guys. Did you enjoy the 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 uh, the handing off of the baby? Do, did you like the 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 tight shot of the braces uh, that would sh- show our, our title card? Like, what, what do you what do you think so far? So I feel like the sort of scene, how I feel about this is how I feel about the whole movie, um, which is that there are aspects of it that I was laughing at and enjoying and like that I appreciate, but I think there was just like on the whole, it's not something that I wanted a ton of, you know what I mean? Like, um, and I don't want to get too far into, you know, general thoughts on the entire movie, but it's just, you know, I laughed throughout the scene. Um, but, but I still didn't, you know, love it. If that's, uh, like the the sensibilities, the sort of tight shot on the on the kid and his breathing, and then cutting back and forth. <laughs> like it's weird, and I understand. Like I know what they're doing, and I I understand why someone would enjoy it. But I'm just I didn't enjoy. Like I didn't find that funny. I found the giving of the the child away um, entertaining. Like I laughed. I enjoyed the the choice for the the credit sequence as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, on the whole, I was kind of like, okay, like if this is what the movie's going to be, I'm not sure how much I'm going to love the end product. Yeah. I mean, before we even get into the baby trading question, um, (laughs) I think once a film like this starts from the get go, as soon as you see the color palette, the costumes, the set design, right? Like you just know absolutely exactly what you're in for. And it's a lot, you know, we'll get into the details and I did enjoy this film. I didn't love it, but I, I did like it. But it's a lot. It's different from, I mean, it's the polar opposite of a film like something like Nomadland, where it's like realistic and slow takes and shots and natural lighting and landscapes. And, you know, with a film like that, you're kind of like, okay, let's see where this goes. And, you know, exploratory and you kind of get into it. With a film like this, you're like, oh, I see what's happening here, like (laughs) right away, right? So, and with the credits and the close up over the, the mouth with braces on it. So I almost felt a bit assaulted in a way by, I mean, I had watched the trailer, so I, I knew what I was in for, but I was like, whoa, okay, we're really going to 110% and not letting up off the gas in terms of the, the palette and set design. Um, and that's okay. I got used to it after a while and, and quite liked it too. I thought there were some really creative things about the, about the coloring and the, and the clothing, but yeah, it feels like a bit of an onslaught right away. And so you're even you're just settling into the look and feel of it. 
and you're, you're it's still you're not totally settled in and suddenly she's like do you want my baby and you're like what okay like there's just too much going on right now the colors are bright they're giving away the baby um so yeah a bit unsettling a bit unnerving but i think that's the shtick right like you're totally right to bring up david lynch as a reference it's got it's got a kind of campy david lynch which is also great that you brought up john waters i did think a little bit about serial mom which is an, yeah. one of my favorite john waters films and also one of my favorite movies period um so it's got similarities to that but uh it's just it's just a lot to take it's a real you know it's like drinking kool-aid where you put more of the powder than you're supposed to <laughs> and <acid>. the water <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, but you know, once I got, once I accepted that and once I was like, okay, this is what we're in for, then I was like, all right, let's just ride with it. Um, and you know, you don't quite get right away why she's giving away the baby, but then later as it becomes clear that they just kind of swap family members for some reason, (laughs) um, it becomes part of the logic, I guess. And and we could talk a little bit more about what we think the allegory is there or what, you know, why we think that's, that's the case in this, in this universe, but yeah, just a jarring, just a jarring beginning all over. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, I do love like personally, I love the color palette. I love like the the soft blues and pinks for clothing. Uh, everything is like is I would say pretty well saturated. So it's it is like a very very rich color palette that you're that you're watching from the get go, and it's it's that way through the entirety of the film. And it's you know a bunch of polo clad people uh, that has. I don't want to say it's like a 1950s aesthetic, but it's like a 1950s if it never went away and but only slightly changed and amended itself uh, and, you know, brought us to here to modern times. It's that kind of like clothing, which I find like very, very like odd and gross. And it is everything about this is uniform from like, you know, uh, everybody wanting to have braces and even like the 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 offering of the baby is also almost intended as kind of like just like a polite gesture that you know like she doesn't immediately like uh lisa doesn't immediately accept the child she's you know like oh i couldn't and she's like no no i insist please just take her and then like she fully accepts like okay right. <laughs> i am now the parent of this child uh as though it's like a tray of cookies oh i couldn't yeah, possibly yeah, have another exactly. oh well if you insist yeah exactly i i i loved it so much uh but yeah, I, I I could understand why that would you know <laughs> it would be awful for somebody to watch and like and the humor wouldn't land. Uh, but for me, it absolutely hits. Um, but uh, continuing on, uh, at home, Jill discovers Julian's wet his pants uh, on the way home with a bright yellow stain adorning the golf cart bench. It's clear that this is kind of like a long-standing issue with Julian, and it's going to be kind of like occurring throughout the uh, the duration of this film. Uh, we then meet uh, basically a, a wider swath of this suburban utopia at a cookout. Uh, we meet Jill's husband, Nick, played by Beck Bennett, uh, as well as Lisa's husband, Dennis, played by Neil Casey, where the couples discuss the quality of canapes they've brought, again, kind of like establishing a good amount of like suburban rivalry that's kind of going on. That's going to really be the undercurrent for this entire film. Uh, our two couples then awkwardly make out, almost challenging each other to go harder and longer, further <laughs> establishing kind of like this competitive nature of the community. Uh, it's then revealed that Lisa and Jill have accidentally swapped husbands and been kissing the wrong spouse. But it, it, it's, it's done as such like a, oh, that's fine. And then they kind of like swap spouses again uh, to have correct, you know, the, the, the correct coupling and continue kissing. Uh, and it's kind of like at this point clearly established that Nick 
that Lisa actually prefers Nick to her actual spouse, Dennis. Uh, she then reveals that her and Dennis have decided to rename the gifted baby, uh, much to the dismay of, uh, of Jill. Uh, she'll no longer be Madison. She's to become Paige. Uh, and I absolutely like love this. There's like, so there's like a great level of like, you know, political, you know, like, uh, you, Vanna, you, you call them dick games. Uh, and I feel like there's like a lot of like <laughs> dick, dick games going on here. It, it doesn't matter that, you know, it, it, the, the two main characters are women. Like th- this is very much dick games going on throughout. And, and I'm absolutely here for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I found the, the scene to be like, I laughed a lot during the, the makeout scene um again with just how absurd it was and then the swapping of the the partners um yeah i don't know like i <laughs> again my feelings on this movie are very weird because like it, on the whole it feels like a sketch like like a sketch comedy show that i would enjoy for the five minutes that it was on but it wouldn't be my favorite sketch you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and I, I don't know how to describe it. Again, I'm not nearly as articulate as uh, the two of you, but it's it's tough for me because, like, I, I, every way that I'm going to talk about these scenes is like, oh yeah, I thought that was funny, and I enjoyed this part, and I thought this was funny. But like, on the whole, the movie itself, I wouldn't want to watch again. <laughs> I would, I would implore you in like a year to watch again and determine whether or not you feel the same way about it but you know let, let yourself recharge and get to that place uh what about you 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 Ivana? what are your thoughts yeah i think mitch is absolutely right that it's got a sketch comedy feel to it right from the get-go and i mean it's not a coincidence that it has an snl cast member and other people who have experience in sketch and comedy um and obviously the costumes so over the top which is very typical of of sketch comedy so yeah definitely agree with that and that's kind of why i wanted to introduce the runtime uh, i think it's an hour and 38 minutes is that yeah I but that, 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 that includes right. credits guys come on okay, let's be generous here <laughs> you're a real greener grass stand but uh um, <laughs> Yeah, I think it could have probably just been an hour. But then that leads us into, you know, I was just mentioning I watched this 39 minute long documentary. I know for a fact in, you know, film industry, as you both know, that like there's this no man's land of running time, like short films have to be under. I forget what the exact, you know, and it's hard to market and distribute something that's like 47 minutes long. But I feel like we should be seeing a change in that with streaming platforms and at home viewing because you're no longer beholden to the theater model and to kind of shorts before the main feature and things like that. So I would love to see more films of this type that I think really lend themselves well to like a 49 minute running time, especially given the fact that this movie doesn't have much of a plot. Um, No, no, no. In fact, I have to say that there are scenes that I'm going to leave out just because you know, they, they aren't integral to the plot and they don't really yeah. deal with any kind of like character development. So if I don't talk about anything that you'd want to talk about, please jump in. Cause there's like some scenes that are getting like fully chopped. Sure. Yeah. I agree. I fully agree with that approach. So yeah, sketch comedy is absolutely the right thing, Mitch. I think the running time could be cut, but again, I realize films can't be that length for some weird reason. Um, so I think they were pushing it a bit, um, which is not to say I didn't like it, but that's just kind of my, that's my stance on it. Yeah, I think there's, you said a lot of like interesting things, like streaming in general has changed a lot of like the structural components of like films. So like, you know, like even for like television, you'd have like a like five act script and like the idea is always to like 
tease to commercial and then come back and you know after a little bit of like foreplay you reveal like what right. that that tease was right that structure doesn't really matter anymore and i think it was silly to begin with like the like i understand you want to like you know draw somebody to a commercial and have them hang out until the commercial break has ended and then continue so they're you know i like understand the utility of that structure but overall i don't think it lends itself to like a good episode like if, if you're watching a lot of like older television that you know syndicated television i find it kind of frustrating because it it, it doesn't lend itself to any kind of like uh uh deviations from the norm or anything like that like right. like it always feels like you're stuck with you know this is what it's got to be and you know it's like the like you know after like save the cat came out everybody's like this is like how to write a script and it's like oh man this sucks like everything feels the same nowadays um Whereas this is just like wild and out of control. I think that's why it really appeals to me. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Anyways. uh, So at this point, uh, so we've just revealed that Madison is now to become Paige. Uh, Back at home, Nick goads Jill into trying some water and then reveals this isn't any water. It's pool water. Uh, Since they've moved over to a non-chlorine-based cleaning system, Nick claims the water is good enough to drink. In fact, Nick says he prefers it. Uh, (laughs) Fucking love this, guys. (laughs) That was so funny. Uh, So Nick, from this point onward, is going to be obsessed with drinking pool water and and using it in in other capacities. I find it intensely amusing every time it comes up. But... uh, Anyways, at this point, Jill reveals she can't stop thinking about Madison Page, uh, with Nick wishing he had been consulted in the decision. But ultimately, the wildness of gifting a baby is largely a non-issue between the two. Uh, Again, kind of like establishing the fact that this isn't like reality at all. Like this, this movie exists with like a few, like a lot of like visual cues of like normalcy, but is is largely absolutely absurdist um and then we kind of transition from jill's home to lisa's home where uh basically she's kind of like subjected to dennis starting off a bunch of endless stories that kind of like deflect off of her uh and she's kind of like annoyed that he's even like considering telling these stories to him uh she then comes upon a birthday card for nick's 40th that has come in the mail uh she kind of like like you know leans in and smells the card searching for traces of nick again trying to like further establish the fact that like Lisa Lisa is so envious of of Jill's life that this film is largely a campaign uh, where she's trying to destroy and dismantle uh, Jill's life for this kind of like suburban competitive, uh, you know, social hierarchy. And and I I find it intensely enjoyable. Um, The next day, Jill visits Kim Ann, who is watching her husband Buck move out, uh, which I like the visual of. So again, all the means of conveyance in this movie, everybody travels via golf cart, uh, which I think is like a, a, a wonderful, you know, there's nothing more emblematic of like middle white middle class than like a golf cart for like to, to say like this is suburbia golf cart. Uh, like I, I love the fact that they use this to travel, but uh, poor Buck is like, you know, has like a mattress, you know, ratchet strapped to the the, the roof <laughs> of this, yeah. this golf cart, and I find it super super funny. Uh, Jill, you know, as kind of like a nice gesture to uh, Kim Ann, who's you know divorcing her husband, delivers taco dip, but you know, uh, 
Kiman asks, is it seven layers? And then she reveals it's only five layers. And Kiman <laughs> tells her to put it on the floor. <laughs> like, it's I love so that good. joke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was good. Oh, you could just uh, put it on the floor. <laughs> it's so wonderful. <laughs> there are um, a lot of really good uh, one-liners and puns sort of type yeah. things. I wish I spent film. more time just like picking out one-liners than actually doing like a plot synopsis. Because again, there's so much funny stuff in this movie. And I'm, I don't feel like I'm doing it a proper service. So I would, I would implore people to watch this fucking movie. Uh, in Canada, it's on Grave. Check it out. Um, but uh, during the scene, kind of, Kiman is kind of cool towards Jill. And it really, really comes to a head with Jill asking, you know, begging to know what's gotten between the two of them. And Kiman reveals she's offended by Jill not offering baby Madison to her. Again, like, <laughs> you know, uh, show me that, like, the, the conflicts between uh, Jill and and lisa are it's not like allocated just to them it's like a community like competition like every, everybody wants to uh you know best one another so the offering of a baby to somebody else not only has like hurt jill just like the the fact that she offered her baby up but now other people are wishing they received the baby <laughs> somehow like making like needling her further for for making that like uh, an issue um after this, our two central couples then meet for lunch, where Nick and Jill reveal Julian's been enrolled in rocket math. <laughs> I fucking love rocket math, guys. Rocket math! Yeah. Sorry. I'm super on board with that. Um, Lisa says uh, they should enroll their own son, Bob, in the class, but Jill reminds her that Julian's been selected for this. They essentially had to take kind of like a standardized test, and that is is what kind of like ferried them into this program. So Bob wouldn't be a contender. Uh, the waiters then come and drop food, uh, drop the food before it actually lands on the table, uh, hitting the floor, and then uh, kind of beg the table for to forgive them. Uh, it, this scene is so interesting. I don't like. Did Did you find it funny at all, Mitch? I I did enjoy the the scene when they. <laughs> When they drop all the food and they start freaking out and they're like, oh, no, it's okay. And when they're like, you promise you won't tell? Like they're like five-year-old <laughs> kids who like accidentally punched their brother or something. And I did find it funny. And then when they started eating off the floor, yeah, I, I enjoyed the scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so the, it made the, couples, the couples do eat off the floor. I, so there's a lot in this movie where it's like they, they extend reactions beyond their kind of like social norm length. So when they drop the food, they're like, oh, my God. Oh, oh. And they, they, they whine for an extended period of time. Uh, so a lot of the humor, not a lot of the humor, but some of the humor in this film hinges on the extension of reactions. Uh, generally, basically, from the point, like, the, the reactions themselves are initially funny, but they stop being funny, and then they become funny again. Uh, that, that's yeah, my, they kinda, my reaction. They kind of drive it into the ground a bit, but yeah. to the point where it gets funny again. Yeah, I, I I really really find that interesting. There was um, uh, I think like a Radio Lab episode on uh, this comedy bit where these like uh, like somebody was you know you know stomping on the ground and, and clapping their hands and singing a song, and somebody else was like you know singing a few lines, and they kept doing this over and over and over again to the point where like the the humor. Like the people turned against the act and were like pissed off for like a good, you know, chunk of time and then came around and, and found it funny again. And like the the act of like repetition as a means of both like 
initially endearing your crowd, your audience, and then turning them against you, and then them coming back uh, and finding like absolute humor in in, in what's being repeated is, is like a very interesting phenomenon. And and I think this movie does that to like a lesser extent. Uh, but you know, it, a lot of the humor is 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 you know repetition based. Um, anyways yeah so our, our two couples do eat off the floor um and then the next day our, our two couples again meet at a school recital where bob plays a subpar bingo was his name on sax and i love his like exasperated like he finishes his song and goes <sighs> it, it, it's, everything about this is funny to me like the, the song is terrible uh he doesn't do a great job his kind of like uh, you know it, it's a it's a mouth wind instrument so he's like exasperated after performing this this song and and then young Julian goes to play the same song on piano but proceeds to slam his little fist down on keys creating like a horrifically discordant song to a largely aghast audience. Uh, Lisa basically her envy of jill's life is kind of clear and she seems to believe this performance is actually like wonderfully avant-garde kind of and like everything about it is just like a joy for me to watch um like i love the way that's lit there's kind of like uh julian kind of like saunters down from basically it's like a row of students on stage he kind of comes down to like a spotlit piano with like i think there's like a jar with flowers on it and like it, he basically settles down puts his like his his uh his music notes down his music sheets and like you assume you're going to be like assaulted with something beautiful and he just like slams his like fist down like a like a drunken stravinsky or something like just like hammering the piano and i find it like you know like super entertaining um Giovanna, did you did you enjoy this or you're like fuck this bullshit (laughs) no i did i did i mean i think it becomes clear around this point that julian is very much like a uh, countercultural young man. He's, uh, you know, refusing to engage in the conformity. Like, I mean, it's very odd. I'm saying things that are very obvious, but any film that's about the suburbs and about people judging each other for their family lives and marriage lives um, and anything that is kind of calling back to those days of the 50s of dressing appropriately and acting heteronormatively, like all of that's just about conformity, right? And Julian is is a free spirit. Julian's his own man. And I think what's even funnier is that after the recital, his parents are like, well, we know you know how to play that piece, right? Like you've played it before. So it's not that he was slamming on the piano out of incompetence or that he didn't practice or that he couldn't read the music. Yeah. It's that he thought it would be interesting to create a avant-garde piece of noise art. You know, <laughs> like I, I see him as growing up to like, you know, be one of these kids who moves out of the oppressive suburbs and becomes like an experimental sound artist in, you know, New York or something. Yeah. Right. Like that's very much his, his, uh, his shtick. And he refuses to conform in other ways too, like with the soccer and, Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was funny. I thought it was fun. I was like, yeah, Julian, you go like, you play, <laughs> you play this, you play music the way you think it should be played. You know, don't, don't let yourself be constrained by so-called sheet music. Like do, do your thing, you know? So, yeah. Um, I liked it. I'm so glad you brought it up because uh, something I failed to mention is that like Nick, uh, so Julian's father is largely annoyed with, uh, with Julian's inability to engage in like physical activities. Like when when we meet Julian, he's just like, he's standing still on, on the field while everybody's playing soccer around him. He clearly does not care. And as soon as he's grazed by somebody, 
he like drops to the ground and like you know cries a foul basically begging to be taken out of this game like that he he does not care about he's not interested in it at all and and this kind of annoys nick all the time uh so when julian eventually shifts which we'll talk about <laughs> uh it, it kind of like becomes the the child nick has always wanted uh it's like it's, it's very interesting so i'm glad you brought that up because yeah uh julian isn't what nick would want in a son uh yeah. which you know uh is is pretty interesting um, so let's uh, let's move on and get to to Julian's change. Um, we're now basically at the uh, oh sorry sorry I'll I'll back that up a little bit um, because we are now in school where we meet Julian and Bob second grade teacher Miss Human which uh, we talked about earlier is I, what's the actor's name do you know uh, Darcy Darcy Carden yeah yes. she, she's yeah she's the AI kind of like clippy uh for for the afterlife right that's that's her character in the good life she's janet yeah she's yeah. like yeah, a computer yeah. and there's a good janet and a bad janet it's darcy Carden. i yeah. just googled it sorry cool. darcy sorry we forgot your <laughs> yeah. name but you're she's, terrific we love you great yeah, job she's super funny uh i think she's great in this uh this movie as well she's only in i think like like two or three scenes but she's like she kind of like hits hits very very well uh uh she's she's quite obsessed with teaching the children about kind of like the days of manifest destiny and wagoneering like covered yeah, wagon times. yeah I, I, love I, it. I love it so much um one of my favorite scenes is when i don't know if you're gonna mention this but i'm just gonna bring it up because i feel like we have to talk about it she's like here's a list of uh deadly diseases please write a list of all of your immediate family members and then connect them each to the type of disease you think they would die from and then there's a little kid there's a little kid at the back of the class and he's like excuse me miss should we include ourselves and she's like yes yes i wasn't gonna bring that up that scene so i'm glad you brought it up yeah that's one i love that that was hilarious there's so much funny stuff in this um uh but so at this point kind of like uh they're they're tasked with assigning what they would want to put into their covered wagon so they're each given like a sheet with a a stencil outline of like a wagon and like oh we have to draw like you know what the the very few things uh you know miss human is kind of like hinting at like you know all these people dropped their whole entire lives and only took what they could fit that was the most prized possessions and put them into the wagon and kind of like traveled west so the kids are tasked with, you know, performing a, a similar activity and, and drawing what they would put in. And, and Julian turns to Bob and asks if he'd like to be in his wagon. And Bob is like, no. <laughs> Bob is such an asshole through the whole movie. Yeah. And I kind of enjoy it. Yeah, um, Bob's great. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I, kind of like at this point, Jill shows up to deliver a uh, like a, a, basically a basket of fresh underwear for her incontinent son julian uh you know miss human is clearly nonplus with the rampant urination uh and, and that's going to become more important in our next scene so uh we are now at nick's 40th birthday it's kind of like a luau theme which you know like i love absolutely gaudy luau themed kind of like you know like tiki like tiki bar stuff i love it i, I don't know it's what a it very is. like suburban yeah. backyard party trope right are you calling me suburban 
I mean, hey, I've seen your house. Fits. It's got yeah. a yard. Okay. <laughs> Don't lie. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to us. Oh, do you also wear? I know you like paper your umbrellas neck? in your drinks. Oh, I, 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 by the way, I do love paper umbrellas in in my drinks. <laughs> we, we used to go to. Uh, so I grew up in. I was born in Quebec. Uh, so we we used to go to this Chinese restaurant that inexplicably had Hawaiian like like paper drink thing like the 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 paper umbrellas so i would always play with those like endlessly uh as if like signaling that one day i would absolutely love to drink guys <laughs> even at like sounds uh, great i think it, uh, i had the same fascination i don't know maybe it's just a, a you know little kid thing with these tiny paper umbrellas they were fascinating and then you yeah. could like pull them up like a real umbrella and then you'd break the paper and you'd be all sad yeah so, i uh, uh, yeah I used to take them like home. Like I, I love them so much. I was so enamored by them. Like, oh, look at this little cute umbrella. Like, is, is it a frog's umbrella? Like, like what the hell is this? Uh, but no, it was just for a drink to ensure it was shaded. Um, but anyways, uh, so we're at Nick's 40th birthday. Again, you know, Hawaiian themed. Uh, Lisa gives Nick a haunting painted ceramic figure that she says is intended <laughs> to be him. It's clearly like a Renaissance man playing the flute. And it's like, it, it has like blackened eye, eyes. Like it looks, looks haunted. Uh, if you saw this, you'd immediately break it uh, to in, ensure that nobody would purchase it and get haunted by it. Um uh, but anyways, uh, Jill basically kind of like sequesters Julian into the washroom, uh, who is wearing her, his grandfather's purple heart on his polo. Uh, basically brought him to the washroom because like he doesn't, she doesn't want him to soil himself during the party. Uh, he refuses, saying he never has to go to the washroom. Uh, and then oh, like a really... <laughs> I, never I love this go. line. It's so good. This. It's so good. And and like and he says, like, he says something like, "I really like it in here." Yeah, or yeah. Something. She's like, she's like, like "You're like, never leaving this room." He's like, "Great, I love it in here." Yeah, like, <laughs> it's great. I love it in here. I never want to leave. Like this, the the whole exchange is great. She's absolutely like threadbare, frustrated with her child that keeps like peeing everywhere whenever. And the 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 son is just like, "I never have to go to the washroom." Like it never hits them. He just goes wherever. And it, it's like a very, very, you know, it, it's a, a standoff that, that doesn't go anywhere. And she even threatens to like, I'll, I'll take grandfather's purple heart away from you. <laughs> uh, which uh, thank God she doesn't because it becomes very important uh, after the, the next sequence of events. So um, clearly Jill lets, lets Julian go. He doesn't go to the washroom, but uh, afterwards, Julian tries tries to sing "Happy Birthday" to his father. Uh, it's a incredibly awkward, <laughs> and it looks like Nick like is like, "Please stop." He's like, "No, no, like cut it, cut it, stop." Uh, it, it's 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 strained, awful, incredibly awkward. Um, but uh, basically, while he's singing "Happy Birthday," he kind of like I don't know if he faints or like what the intention is, but he falls into the pool. Um, and then Jill and Nick pull out a dog instead of Nick. Uh, but because the dog wears the purple heart, they begin treating the dog as Julian, uh, which I think is like very, very funny uh, because uh, for, for two reasons. The first is they get to dress him up in adorable school uniforms as well as dressing up him up as they would julian so that's like number one cuteness right here uh the number two thing is because we talked about 
Nick being unimpressed with Julian's kind of like physical acumen. He he will now like play fetch and he's like, he's so fast, man. Like <laughs> so great. I love him. Like Julian's so good. Uh and I I love the fact that Nick is now more excited to have a dog than a child. <laughs> we should um, specify that the dog is a uh golden retriever. Yeah. Is but, he or a lab? So I that's a I, I have the same problem. I don't think he's a lab, but I don't know if he's a golden retriever. I'm awful with dog breeds. Um, he's I, just a big yellow dog with a goofy grin. Yeah, he's, he he's like play. long, yeah. like long, shaggy hair. Uh, like, I don't know. It, every dog is now through the lens of my own dog. So <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, this movie, I don't know if everybody involved has been in like UCB, but um, so Upright Citizens Brigade. So it's like an improv theater group. A, a lot of the people involved in this film, I think, were part of that. Um, you know, like Amy Poehler. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, you know, a notable person has been in like UCB, um, just like as like a like a, a you know a tent pole for like you know how important UCB is for a lot of people who are coming up in like improv comedy. Uh, you know, so I think that and, and this movie has like a lot of the, like the absurdist humor of UCB. So I think that's probably like like a good way to identify this film. Um, I will say, I think the. Um actress who plays kim ann is a ucb person because i know i've seen her somewhere else i feel like she's been on like little roles yeah in, like, the, by I the way know, maybe are, parks and rec or something yeah, there's like the people in this are, are actually insane like yeah they do a lot like yeah they're all like, oh you know who she you know who she was she played the little sister in that lesbian christmas movie with Kristen stewart this past christmas which i liked oh yeah um, you're right um, she, and she was great in that. So yeah, I really like a lot of the a lot of the performers. In yeah, this. and like Jim Cummings is in it, so uh, that'll be important for I think Mitch because you you watched Thunder Road, right? I am a very big fan of Thunder Road. Yes, so he's in this movie. Um, he is, and yeah. it was highly enjoyable for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then like uh, I, I believe it's it's Lauren Adams who is uh, becomes like Cheryl Hode, the the sister of the slain yoga instructor she's from like uh like silicon valley and has been like in the press because she as like thomas middleditch came out as like uh you know with his like inappropriate sexual advances at a club lauren adams was like yeah i said this a long time ago <laughs> like she's been in the news like basically saying like yeah it was not a great work environment i said it then and like look look now uh, so she's been in the news, I believe, recently. But so Julian turned into a dog. That's where we are. <laughs> yes, dog is a golden retriever? Question mark. Um. So uh, basically, now at this point, Jill begins to have larger second thoughts on gifting baby Madison. Like at this point, she really wants her her child back, and asks Lisa uh, for the for the baby back because, <laughs> quote unquote. Julian's a dog now. <laughs> they get a oh, lot of humor out of the the dog oh, or him being a dog, which I really it, enjoyed. It's so good. It's like it's like her her family unit has been diminished by the conversion of child to dog. Uh, so now she's like desperate to get uh, basically Paige uh, slash Madison back into real life. Um, unfortunately, Lisa declines. Uh, meanwhile, now that Julian's a dog, Nick seems to, again, be finally happy that he has an athletically inclined son <laughs> as they play fetch. 
<laughs> this whole the the whole scene where they're playing fetch i find super funny and like oh you're so fast look at you go and like the the dog like essentially kind of like <laughs> rolls over him and you know is much more skilled athletically than than he even is and i, I find i found that like intensely endearing um and then uh basically our, our we reconvene at a uh, little league soccer game and <clears throat> sorry uh, Lisa sticks the game ball up her dress to give the illusion she's pregnant. Uh, everyone, everyone is stunned that Lisa's now presumably with child, but easily accepts this as a fact, which I love. Uh, this is only interrupted by Julian being led off the field by the ref, saying it's against regulation for a dog to play. Uh, and then the the I think it's like Dennis, uh, Lisa's husband, who's like, oh, it's against regulation, like like mocks the ref. <laughs> And like they all like like guffaw yeah. at this, yes. and like he uh, Nick high fives Dennis, and, and they then shakes his hand, <laughs> and shakes his hand afterwards. <laughs> oh, it's all so good. I, I just love this movie. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, or not meanwhile, but afterwards, Lisa then welcomes her new child into the world—a soccer ball. Uh, they've opted to, opted to name the baby, the ball baby, uh, Twilson, because Wilson could only be Tom Hanks's son. <laughs> <laughs> Another great line. Um, we we again, all these scenes are, are so short and and really don't inform the trajectory of of, of the plot at all. But I think are, are warrant like, you know, like like Lisa having a soccer ball ball child. I think is like an important plot point question mark i don't fucking know <laughs> but i mean i think it is and yeah. i think you know if i can just if, now that we've had a few different family member changes and transformations right like she gives the baby away and julian turns into a dog they mix up each other's husbands at the party then she's got a soccer ball for a baby like i think all of this is really just exposing the notion that in order to conform and be accepted into this tight-knit suburban community of rules and behaviors, you have to check off these boxes of uh, family structure. Like you have to have a husband and a couple of kids and a dog. You know, they didn't have a dog before. Now they have a dog. Yes, their kid turned into a dog. But like, they're all just kind of collecting. And she literally takes this ball and is like, oh, I've got one of these now. And it's a baby, right? Like, so they're literally just collecting family members as a, as a status symbol and as a almost as a requirement for fitting into this community. So, yeah. so I don't know. That was, that was for me kind of the theme running through all this. So in a way, I was almost like, yeah, of course she took a soccer ball and pretended it was a baby. That makes perfect sense in terms of the logic that we're operating here yeah. um i don't know there's there the, you go the that's parallel my, that's there my stance. between her and uh, what is it uh jill where you know obviously there's the jealousy but while she's getting all of these things and her life is getting so much better um we sort of see that transformation and uh with jill every time it seems like she's losing something she loses the baby and now the the other kid's a dog and then her life trajectory just <laughs> goes down yeah no that's it's it it's just like collapsing <laughs> well uh was it dawn uh i can't remember her name uh, lisa uh, yeah well, her Le- life... lisa's the blonde and, yes. and jill's the brunette yeah but uh, but yeah you just see the different trajectories uh, based on you know like you said how well they're sort of conforming to the, yeah. the norm of suburban life yeah. yeah, they're essentially accruing social capital, yeah. and they're like, Basically. "I have X amount. Oh, you have Y amount? Ha! Huh. Like, like maybe <laughs> one day you'll have what I have." Uh, and, and definitely, like, 
and, and and we'll get to it with the the final scene but there is definitely like an absolute power shift between the two of them and and so a lot of this movie and kind of like why it works with me is because I, i'm not like a huge fan of comedy in general like i don't i don't watch like i'll watch like comedy television but i don't watch comedy film too often uh and it's not like that i i'm like comedy oh that's garbage like that's not the that's not the thing at all it's just that i don't it's not what i gravitate towards um but this film has like because like i'm such a huge horror fan there's a lot of this is framed as a horror film comedy pretty much i don't mean like a horror comedy i mean it's a comedy that is shot like a horror film largely like there's like very creeping slow zooms there's a lot of like uh like quote-unquote killer povs throughout the film where like the 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 killer that will will soon be revealed is is watching jill and, and watching her life kind of like slowly collapse while he's like uttering you know things like little asides that the characters make that only he would know for from being so close to them and, and there's and and a lot of the sound design there's a lot of stuff that is just like it, it it's ripped from a horror film but it's in a comedy it still manages to be really, really funny, which is kind of like hard for me to accept because like horror comedy for me is like the, 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 the worst, you know, Frankenstein subgenre in the world. Like I do not enjoy it. There's like very few movies that are like quote unquote horror comedies that I like. Um, but this movie seems to be a, like the inverse, like it's, it's a comedy horror film. <laughs> and it yeah. works wonderfully. And I love it. Um, yeah, it does have an ominous tone about it throughout. Yeah, like the sound design is like is straight up horror films, and and when we get into it, there's a, a scene where like Jill's driving away, uh, and it feels very much like a, a '70s you know heroine fleeing like a slasher. Like it, it has like that aesthetic. It's you know it has that energy, but you know we will get there. Um, but for now, let's get back to uh, Twilson, who is not Wilson, because that could only be Tom Hanks' son. Uh, Jill and Lisa go to yoga. Uh, the owner comes in and says she doesn't know what to do now that Cheryl isn't there to teach the class. Uh, so this person wheels in a television and plays Twister, claiming it's all about energy, which I fucking <laughs> loved. That's like one of my favorite lines in this whole movie. Like, like... Like we have to align our chakras. Like, like, like all your chakras are beautiful. <laughs> We're gonna watch this movie about energy. This movie is Twister. <laughs> um, by the way, I really want to rewatch Twister. I've been trying to my uh, get my partner to watch it with me, and she's like, "No, this is not something we're doing." But I, I think by the time we record our next podcast, I will have watched Twister by myself. <laughs> um, but anyways. Um, this this person is essentially very very sweaty and has like, kind of like a wild energy. And the speech cadence is uh, quite similar to the creepy POV we've seen thus far. And even their gaze kind of like lingers on Jill a little bit too long. And this is basically establishing that this is likely the killer of Cheryl and also the you know the the voyeur of Jill. Um, and, but we will find out whether or not that's true uh, towards the end of this. Uh, we we're not at a child's birthday. I honestly don't know whose birthday it is, but it's a bowling alley birthday. Do you do you guys remember by any chance? I don't recall whose yeah. birthday. No. Yeah, I, I I don't think it was either Bob's or 
or, or Julian's. Although it would be funny if it's Bob's birthday because Bob wasn't allowed to be present because <laughs> of having repeated violent outbursts uh, uh, after watching. I haven't talked about it, but kids with kids with knives. With knives. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So like, Dennis falls asleep while in front of the television, and and Bob, the the child of Lisa and Dennis, is you know just watching tv and and on comes kids with knives uh and at least it comes in she's like like smacks bob or not bob sorry uh dennis and it's like like why are you letting him watch this as if like this is this is what is creating bob the devil but bob is this is not what's creating bob they've created bob you know uh i find it so funny um Anyways, uh, Lisa reveals to Jill that Bob is now in rocket math uh, as Jill kind of sinks with envy uh, at the fact that she now has a son who is a dog who has been ejected from rocket math uh, and she no longer has her baby. She's kind of like, you know, absolutely dejected. Uh, Lisa, in, in her continued effort to absolutely obliterate Jill's life, suggests and, and possibly also to snatch nick uh suggests that if she isn't happy with her life maybe she should just get a divorce and then jill as if like this is like the the like yes that's a great idea kind of like in her diminished state brushes over to nick and immediately announces her intention to get a divorce at this child's birthday <laughs> like in front of the lanes of the bowling lanes i found this like so good uh everything about this movie i love like its humor hits perfectly for me uh and then afterwards, Nick uh, and Jill sit down with Julie and the dog and reveal their plans for divorce. I love the fact that like this is a visual. They're they're telling their dog that they're going to get divorced. Uh, yeah, as Julian. <laughs> uh, but you know, Nick uh, decides to drown his sorrows by gulping a pool water. <laughs> I, the shot of him like kind of like like like. Like a, like a slovingly disgusting creature, kind of like bah, in in water, just like sucking up pool water is is so enjoyable. Uh, I will say that his obsession with the new pool filtration system and drinking the water is a very clever and absurdist nod to I think the stereotype of the you know male hetero suburban homeowner dad which is that they get obsessed with these like little trinkets that do homeownership yeah. functions Absolutely. right like yeah. ah, i got a cool new lawn trimmer or whatever right and that's the stereotype and they take it to this kind of absurdist extrapolation where he's literally so depressed about his divorce that he's gulping his newly filtered pool <laughs> water as a kind of you know self-care sort yeah. of uh, yeah. self-soothing mechanism uh that is a really funny scene i do like that one yeah and like a, a lot of like the like sexist misogynistic like views are like like the, the men maintain you know so the fact that like they have like this pool which is like a stat like a status symbol in like suburbia uh but not only having the pool like his job is to keep it absolutely clean it's kept so clean he can drink it there's something about that is like so funny to me um that it's just, it's just really really weird yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> we get to like another very interesting scene which i i like i thought very very funny uh jill goes to get a post-divorce haircut and as as uh She's basically like, you know, like there's there's the the trans quote unquote like transformation haircuts where like somebody's going through something, they like dr drastically alter their appearance. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, hairstylist is like, 
are you sure about this? And she's like, yeah. And then she goes to like only cut off like an inch maybe of her hair and then cuts it. And then it bleeds like the, as if like the new fresh, you know, hair ends are, are like, just like absolutely like fresh wounds that spit blood. Uh, I like, I absolutely love. And there's like a, a, a person in the, the hair salon, like, like sweeping up bloody hair. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this. I don't know. Mitch, what, did, did you like this at all or no? <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't say that this was one that uh, that struck a, a chord for me or, or 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 landed for me. Not that I you know hated it by any means, but uh, but yeah, the the bleeding haircut, uh, bloody floor hair, um, it, was, it was fine. It didn't. Uh, it wasn't uh, my brand of of humor entirely. So I just sort of watched it. I was like, yeah, this seems about right for this movie. Um, but it existed <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you've had it did you did you uh did you hate or love this at all or are you just like nah i'm good you know i actually despite the fact that i'm well into this film by this point and i understand that it's not realistic in any way that's completely over the top comedic unreliable as a you know portrait uh i was really disturbed by the hair salon scene i yeah. i felt i felt queasy in my stomach about the hair bleeding and st- I don't know, maybe I don't like body stuff, but suddenly it all became very real to me. I was like, Oh God. So <laughs> I don't know for a film that's so absurdist and funny. I, I had this moment of like, I don't know, maybe there's like a core of darkness at it, which I think is the case. Yeah. Right? There's, so, yeah. Definitely... So this scene was, was dark to me and dark and disturbing for sure. Yeah. Uh, as Jill gets this like very, very gruesome haircut, uh, Nick comes home to get some pool water. <laughs> And finds Jillian the dog wandering uh, without clothes on the yard uh, and decides to take him home because uh, in, in his view, the their, their child Jillian is not being properly cared for. Uh, Jill, perturbed by this fact, goes to, to Lisa basically like, you know, like, oh, Nick's taking Jillian. Like, what should I do? Lisa basically tells her that it's probably for the best since she left her seven-year-old child at home while getting a haircut. Uh, and Julian was kind of like found wandering naked in the yard. And I find them treating like an actual dog being a dog in this situation as being uh, as, as something concerning, uh, very, very humorous to me. Um, but anyways, um, at this point, Jill is like, you know, she she doesn't have Julian the dog anymore. Uh, she's divorced her husband the 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 larger plan of Lisa to dismantle her life has you know at this point probably you know been a, a, a full full blown success. Um, she asks again to get baby Madison back. Uh, Lisa obviously declines uh, as the war on Jill's life is quickly coming to a close. Uh, at this point, Jill goes home only to find a man dressed in an apron. Uh, sorry, is it a man by the way? I don't unclear I, unclear all no. right so i'm gonna i'm gonna rephrase that just to uh not be offensive because uh, I, I, a person of undefined yeah. gender yeah yeah okay so uh jill goes home to find a person of uh what did you what did you call it <laughs> undefined, undefined gender, gender. I, yeah, okay. I, or at least in terms of the person's or, or presentation person. we don't know how they would identify but yeah um, so, so Jill goes home only to find a person dressed in an apron. I, I think specifically her apron, like they've gone through her things, making dinner uh, while uttering tidbits of info only someone spying on Jill would uh, would know. Essentially talking about something like like rocket math and 
Julian, don't eat grass and such things. Uh, Jill startles this person cooking. The person spins to reveal themselves as the owner of the yoga studio. Jill asks, Why, what are you doing in my house? The yoga owner responds, this is my house. Uh, it's a wonderful delivery and truly horrifying, in my opinion. Uh, everything about the scene is great. Uh, I love the fact that like this exchange happens a few times. Like, what are you doing in my house? This is my house. What are you doing in my house? This is my house. Uh, and eventually, Jill is kind of like, "Am I in the wrong house?" Like, like there, there's something about like the like uh, the the need to not be rude in like a suburban setting where you if if you if you perceive yourself as wrong at, at a certain point, whether or not it's absolutely true, you're just like, uh, "Okay, fine. Uh, is this in fact your house?" Uh, yeah, it's the social propriety angle in the suburbs, of course. Yeah, it's so good, and and basically as like this, the 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 person drives uh, Jill out of her own house. But before that happens, there's so like in film, there's like what people consider like the 180 degree rule, where like you you film only on like one angle, and you don't really like split that because it can create kind of like a uh like a, like a jarring effect for the audience the the reality is that rules are stupid and you should be able to utilize that to like wonderful effect and this movie uses that to the like to wonderful effect as this exchange is occurring they basically like flip-flop angles that are on like exactly like 180 degrees so it creates a very very like jarring effect watching this scene unfold while one person is like uh like get out of my house you're in my house the person is like this is my house you get out uh i like i love this scene i think it's great i think visually it makes like a, a ton of sense and plays with a lot of like even like filmmaking rules that are like largely stupid and people misunderstand all the time uh, uh to like wonderful wonderfully like horrifying effect um did, like mitch did you did you enjoy like this scene did you find it creepy uh you know anything in general i suppose yeah for sure uh you mentioned the 180 degree rule which i definitely thought this was a uh, an interesting way to to break that rule because you know as much as uh, you know we talk about breaking rules and whatever like the film conforms to the rule for the entirety of it yeah. uh, other than <laughs> these uh, specific moments um where you know you flip-flop and it's almost like you said it has a, a very jarring effect and it works really well in this in this scene and yeah it's definitely a a creepy uh, scene coming home to this uh, the person and and the reaction that they have and yeah it it does feel like it's uh, something out of uh, a horror film uh so yeah no i i think the scene works and then like you said the 180 degree breaking there that it does have the i think the intended effect i think it works very well you do you have any do you have any thoughts on this sequence you know i gotta be honest and say it's gonna come down to the runtime again for me and i think by this point i was tired like i do like this movie i thought it was entertaining i thought it had a lot of funny jokes in it i love the set design and the thematics and the allegories but I was just kind of over it by this point. I'm, I'm just being <laughs> yeah. honest. So, you know, they don't really set up much of a notion of caring about what happened to the missing yoga instructor. It's not exactly a, a character driven, you know, drama. Like you're not you're not invested in these people's outcomes, which is fine for a film like this. That's not really, I think, what what it's aiming for. 
but I was kind of like, whatever, by this point. <laughs> I was like, I wonder, I, 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 wonder, I wonder when the credits will roll. That <laughs> would be fun. Um, I, I did enjoy the breaking of the fourth wall. I thought that was actually fun and added to the kind of chaos and hectic uh, atmosphere of that scene. But, but in terms of investment, I was like, this has been fun. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I guess it like bears some some kind of like explanation. So like the 180 degree rule is that like the camera only exists on like 180 degree of like a total sphere for coverage, and crossing that is is largely like a very very jarring thing. Uh, so I that, I would consider that to be like a concise explanation of what that is. Mitch, do you do you agree? Disagree? I think you got it. Yeah, yeah I don't think right? I need to add. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I, just in, just in case anybody is like unaware, uh, but I, again, it, it, it's a it's a rule that like sure largely makes a lot of sense, but again, it, you know, you can break it to like wonderful effect, and I honestly do think that this is like a great use of of breaking that specific rule. Um, but at, at this point, Jill flees her home, and you know, I, I talked about there being like a lot of like slow zooms and 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 general kind of like horrific imagery. And on this, we kind of like focus on her like panic stricken face as it, she kind of like drives her <laughs> her golf cart down like a, a desolate road. It, it, she does feel like she's you know like uh like a, a hero from a slasher film from the seventies or the eighties, you know, fleeing a killer. Like she could even be fleeing like the Sawyer household from like the Chainsaw Massacre. She has that kind of like absolute glee. Like she's like, like, like sure, uh, this person who was a killer was in her home, but at least she's escaped with her life, and that's you know worth celebrating in this moment for her. Um, once she's kind of like cleared enough distance and feels you know safe, uh, I would say that this is for me is probably the most horrific scene in the film. I think for most people it would be the most horrific scene in the film, but she decides to rip her braces off with pliers. Um, I, so I, I, you guys know I have teeth, teeth, teeth issues, right? Like I, <laughs> I don't like, I do not know this. I, I have a hard time with, uh, uh, dental scenes. I hate the dentist still. Like I, like uh, I had, um, I had my wisdom teeth taken out, uh, Granted, I only had three of them that required removal, but I ended up with dry sockets with all three of those. So uh, if anybody's unaware of what that is, basically, uh, after you get your wisdom teeth taken out, you essentially have large open cavities that go down to your, you know, your, your, your mandible or your maxilla. So your, your upper jaw or lower jaw, um, and they sew those up and you're basically told to clamp down on, you know, swabs uh of of gauze and the goal there is to generate enough blood flow to create actual pockets of blood that cause your 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 gums to heal downwards uh oh god so but that that's the way that they heal normally my problem was that they collapsed so i had open wounds that led down to my essentially my jaw pretty much and my maxilla uh so it had to heal upwards the the result was that I couldn't eat uh, solid food for like a month and a half, and I had to have yeah. my like dry sockets like reopened multiple times to like pick out like. Uh, by the way, I had I didn't go under anesthetics. Sorry, I went under anesthetics, but I didn't go under anesthesia for my wisdom teeth, so I was awake while they were being being taken out. Uh, uh, so if, if anyone wants to know how the wisdom teeth are taken out, I have a very in-depth understanding of that process, as well as the names of the tools that are used, such as like the elevator, which is like a narrowed spoon that they use to dig 
once they've cut into your your gums to to spoon out your 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 tooth but uh so the experience in 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 and of itself was like not great but then uh they basically found like shards of like uh, of the of the of my wisdom teeth still in my gums so i had to pull those out because they're becoming infected <gasps> sounds awful no yeah so i lost like i well i mean i weigh more now but at the time uh i i it was like i was probably at like 170 like i'm six foot so it's like you know pretty average but i went down to like one 140 130 like i lost like a horrifying amount of weight and was gaunt because i couldn't eat solid food and i was eating essentially like uh what's that old person protein f- stuff called well, like uh like booster ex- insurer or something insure, insure. I was, I was, yeah i was oh, buying yeah. like i was buying like eight packs of like insure and like that was that was my my meal and this is when i was working at the buy town so i was i was walking from center town to uh you know it, it's still considered sandy hill i believe where the buy town is but you know it's like it's like a 35 40 minute walk from my apartment to work so I was walking roughly like say like an hour and a half each day. Uh, you know, my body was eating itself and like that's my experience with 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 teeth in general. Uh no wonder you're traumatized. Yeah, that's I, horrible. I, I yeah. <laughs> Everything to do with Jesus. teeth. Yeah. So whenever I see anything to deal with to do with like teeth, uh whether it be like, you know, like a drilling scene or anything like that, I immediately like like shrink like to me yeah it's like incredibly effective for me so watching somebody peel their braces off is such a wonderful wonderfully effective scene for me i don't know like did did you guys feel that way were you kind of like eh whatever at this point still no i had to look away yeah uh mitch what about you watch yeah i mean it was i think probably uh less so than than the two of you definitely unsettling to watch her, her ripping them off but uh, but i don't have yeah. nearly as a, a traumatic history with uh with the dentist as as you do man that sounds yeah terrible. I, I finally found uh a, a dentist that I actually like really really enjoy and that they kind of like understand the the trauma that is like largely <laughs> they've been saddled with like there's like a like a, a rich history of people who have had awful dental experiences. So they're like very good at like kind of like hand holding you through like, here's what we're doing, you know, like, you know, let me know if you're in discomfort, like let's make this work versus like the the dentist who like pulled out my wisdom teeth, who was like kind of like hunkered over me, like, you know, seesawing their arm into my jaw and like just hearing my like jaw kind of like rock back and forth. You know, like it was just such an awful experience, but I do have like a good dentist now. So like, that's good. Uh, yeah, I like I, I I now live in Hamilton, obviously, but I, I will drive to to Toronto to go to my my dentist because they are awesome and super sweet. Um, anyways, that's enough about teeth. That's a, a long tangent. Um, but, you know, uh, at this point, Jill comes upon a cabin and opts to knock on the door. Uh, she basically reveals to the occupant that this is the house she grew up in. It's kind of like a like a shack. So you can kind of like understand that, you know, the character of Jill has has grown up in like kind of like a very very rural modest past and is now in kind of like this you know suburban haven and it kind of I, I I'm super interested in the context of this film and the the alternate realities that they kind of exist within how she she transitioned from you know this life to her current life like I have so many questions based on like the oddity of this film. Um, but anyways, that's that's really not 
the point, I suppose. We can talk about it after. But she does ask the occupant if she can have one of her children. <laughs> after refusing the request, the owner closes the door on Jill, uh, but she still opts to, <laughs> to steal one of them. Uh, and, and while at a diner with her new child, uh, Jill sees on the news that Lisa has helped the police uh, in apprehending the the killer of Cheryl slash the, the I guess, like the the... What do you, what do you, the intruder of Jill's home, I suppose, would probably be the best way to put it. Uh, essentially, Lisa is like further bolstering her profile in the community. And it's kind of like this, like, ah, oh, fucking Lisa moment. But uh, even in, I think, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, just, go ahead. I just think it's funny. Even in the news report, when the, the reporter is describing it, uh, they describe uh, Jill as the recent divorcee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just to like, push her down just that little bit more. Really just twist the knife. Yeah. yeah, it's so good. Everything about this is wonderful. There there are a lot of like commercials and stuff and and, and like obviously there's the TV show uh Kids with Knives. Everything is so funny. It reminds me of almost like the absurdist like Robocop uh or or like uh even like Starship Troopers, like the 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 fake advertisements that like Paul Verhoeven would shove into movies. Uh it they're like those on crack. Or, or or acid, I suppose, is probably the more accurate version. But they're 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 quite interesting. Um, but we're basically now back at a soccer game, like we had opened the film. Uh, Jill ushers her new child into the game and sits next to Lisa, who reveals that she's now the owner of Jill's house, and Nick's become their pool boy. <laughs> uh and we end with Jill having swapped places as the lesser friend watching the soccer game much like the inverse of the opening scene, uh, which, you know, Mitch, you, you, you know, talked about a lot. Um, and in fact, Lisa's even wearing Jill's very same clothes from the first scene. And that is the end of the movie. We kind of like hold on Jill's horrified face as she's almost like, you know, bearing witness to the wreckage of her life. And I, I love it, guys. I love it so much. <sighs> So uh, just like, you know, general discussion, uh, I'd love to talk about braces. I think the <laughs> let's talk about some braces, some more guys. Um, I guess, uh, Mitch, do you have any any thoughts on braces? Um, you know what? In general braces, I wish that I had them when I was younger. Um, you know, most kids don't want them. And at the time I didn't. But now I'm like, you know, what? I wish I had braces when uh, when I was a kid. <laughs> But uh, in terms of this movie, um, I don't know if it was a quote from somebody like relating to the movie or if it was just their reading of it. But in reading something afterwards, I saw uh, a mention of like everyone has braces because there's always room for improvement. Um, And I don't again, don't know if that was like a quote taken directly from, you know, one of the writers or directors. But uh, I did see that and I was like, oh, that's interesting if that's, you know, the reason why that you know, the choice was there, but yeah, I don't have I, a so ton the, of other thoughts about braces. That's interesting because like the, I believe the creators intended the braces, like it's a very, very superficial intention. They just wanted like everybody's obsessed with looking or appearing young. So they have braces. Okay. Like, like, which is like, to me, like that's the dumb way <laughs> to, to view the inclusion <laughs> of adult braces, because in my opinion, like uh, because this is suburbia and everybody's afraid of like deviation from the norm, this is basically like ensuring that everybody's teeth will always, you know, be straight. So there's this like, 
you know, adherence to braces as a, a reinforcement of the norm. Yeah. Uh, but then you have this reading that's like wildly different, uh, which I also really, really like. There's always room for improvement. That's fucking great. Uh, Amanda, do you have anything? Not much to say about the braces other than I think you're onto something with like kind of uh, everybody wanting to conform and fit in and be perfect, right? And very focused on their appearances and, um, you know, kind of almost kind of a desperation to fit in, um, which I think the braces add to. Not that I think that's the case with braces in real life. I think they're a medically necessary, very important thing. <laughs> but I think in the in the caricature universe of this show, it, they are lent a kind of air of desperation. But yeah, yeah. kind of funny. And also, I just got to say the scene with the close up of the kissing at the beginning I was just full on barfing. Like it was just there's <laughs> saliva, there's braces touching, there's weird tongue action, there's clo- so many close ups. It gross. It brought me like uh like visions of like um god um what's his name from Wild at Heart? Uh baby teeth, baby teeth, baby teeth. See, keep saying baby teeth and oh, um, Jackson, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe's Willem teeth. Dafoe. Yeah, 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 the intense yeah. close-ups. Yeah, but again, <laughs> probably drawing a good comparison with David Lynch for this movie. But you know, uh, yeah, it, it, it's disgusting. There's like a lot of close-ups. Um, <laughs> so there's one scene where, uh, like, I love like so when Julian decides to act out before he becomes a dog, he calls his mother a school. <laughs> fucking love as an insult you got classrooms and clocks all in you (laughs) and nick comes in your mother's not a school can i watch popeye no baby it's a school night you're a school julian your mother is not a school i am mom i'm full of classrooms so many clocks in me get to your room get out of here go 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 don't listen to him. If anybody's a school, it's Julian. Like, it's like this big offensive, yeah. you know, claim. Uh, that was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Nick and his attempt to reinvent pool water makes a pool water, pool water popsicle, which I really enjoy. <laughs> yeah. uh, like, I, I don't think it's worth really, really talking about, but I do really love the advertisements that are in this movie. Like the one that I, I I wrote down was the commercial for baby bird baby food, where it's like baby food not made with any kind of oh, yeah. knives yeah. or sharp <laughs> weapons. It's like mothers chew the food and it's canned. It's so disgusting. Uh, but yeah, I like I don't know. There's there's like I don't know what else to really talk about this movie that isn't kind of like covered in its plot. Uh, like I, I, I think the braces are like the the most interesting component because it kind of like reinforces everything we've discussed with the synopsis. You know, like the, right. everybody is concerned with like you know being you know, like existing in this mold, and you know the the mold includes braces in this case um, as a means of kind of like reinforcing you know the norm or like ensuring that you don't exist outside of it. Uh, I, I I love the 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 you know the flip side coin uh beginning and ending of this movie where we're watching you know this this the the dichotomy of friendship essentially flip-flop and you know lisa becomes the powerful friend with the family and jill becomes the divorcee 
<laughs> with a with a dog child, and uh, uh, I guess she does have a a, a new child now uh, at the end of the film. But you know, she does have like a, a diminished family in, in respect to who their their original family that she starts out with. Um, there's another scene where jill i don't know what the fuck she's doing to be completely honest with you she's like doing like word associations that are meant for children but because this movie is so weird like it's it's she's doing it as if you know like as an adult like this is a hard task as if it were almost like a sudoku and uh underneath a a picture of a bison she writes unshaven bull (laughs) like all of this humor works so well for me, and I feel like an idiot because I don't no, think you shouldn't feel like an idiot. It is funny. <laughs> I mean, for me, the bo- I've already said this, but I'll just be a broken record. The bottom line is, it's a really fun movie. It's a great concept. I think the jokes are great. The set design's great. The you know, it's just got to be forty-seven. We just need to, as a society, invent a new length of film that is 47 minutes and that's what this should be that's my that's my say on the topic i'm I'm right there with you i think that uh i think the the reason why i wouldn't want to watch it again is and it's not because it's so long but it's it feels so long because of what it is like it's 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 an hour and 40 minutes which most of the time is you know that's a you know a relatively short runtime but like this could have been, like you said, 47 minutes, I would have been perfectly happy with that. But even going yeah. by like, you know, the typical standards of a feature film, like you could have been 80 and still done, you know, probably all the same, you know, totally the same things. And it would have been, you know, 20 minutes shorter. Um, but yeah, like I, I mentioned it earlier as well. It feels like either it's a, it's a sketch that's drawn out a little too long for me, uh, or it's like a series of sketches that most of which work pretty well but don't really form a movie that i'm invested in it's hard for me to to really enjoy a movie or to want to watch it again if i don't really care about anything that's happening where it just seems like like none of this matters it's just like absurdist um and sure like there are you know allegories and like meanings behind certain things but it just yeah, it's it's tough for me to fully get invested when it's just like, okay, now the boy turned into a dog. <laughs> like, it's yeah, funny, yeah. But... <laughs> All right, okay, so I, yeah, I, it's a good it's a good shtick, but yeah, yeah, it's hard to be invested. You're absolutely right. So I, I have two things here. I, I have the reason why I picked the movie, uh, and then I also have the reason why. Uh, so initially, I had like similar thoughts where I was kind of like, the problem with this movie is that, and a problem with a lot of like absurdist stuff is that the uh you don't have like uh you know the characters are grounded so you don't see stakes or like you you feel like you have like a poorly formed view of characters but i think this go around i really really followed kind of like jill's descent and understood her character more so i think that kind of grounded me in the story which is why i enjoyed it much more this go around i wasn't kind of just like oh this is just like weird so like nothing really matters i was just like enjoying uh, it feels bad to say, but like enjoying Jill's descent uh, at the hands of, of of Lisa, kind of like needling away at her life. Uh, so that that's the first thing. I, the second thing is that I so the reason why I thought you wouldn't like this movie, um, and I was kind of like taking a chance at it because I know you like some absurdist stuff, Mitch. Like you, uh, so Mitch uh, Yavanna had shown me. Um, I, I haven't watched the show yet, but you showed me a sketch from uh, I Think You Should Leave, which is the old yes. man in the, the, <laughs> the, the, the focus, the focus group, group, which is brilliant. <laughs> it's so fucking good. Yvonne, have you seen this at all before? 
I have not. I've heard of the show, but I'm not familiar with it. Uh, so, Mitch, I think you do a, uh, a much better service to the sketch to describe it than, than I would. So please, uh, for Ivana and the audience. Uh, sure. I mean, the, the sketch itself and sort of the whole premise of the show, it seems like taking seemingly normal uh, situations and things and then sort of pushing them to really bizarre means by the end of, of the sketch. Um, but this one in particular is my favorite of the show. And it's a, a focus group for a, a car, like this new uh, car that they're trying to get people's opinions on. And and there's this just one character in the in the room who his ideas are just in, insane. <laughs> I mean, the things he's throwing out are ridiculous. Uh, like the car should be stinky or no room for their, your mother-in-law. Uh, it's just ridiculous <laughs> okay. but it goes beyond that and then just becomes even more absurd but yes i find it highly uh it's just hilarious yeah so because you, i like that's like an absurd premise that you'd find funny i was like okay so this is an absurd movie granted it's like absurd to a different degree I was like, oh, okay, so maybe maybe this is something that you would like. So I decided to take a chance on this. This is something that I thought that maybe you might actually like, but I wasn't entirely sure. And the reason because it would be because that, you know, like I, I mentioned it already. This is like David Lynch and John Waters, you know, put together as a comedy, you know, doing the absolutely most like absurd film that they could possibly conceive of. Uh, and, it, you know, it has parallels to like, you know, the suburbia of, you know, uh, uh, serial mom uh it has like some of the aesthetics of like blue velvet for you know even the opening scene where they're going through like the white picket fence neighborhood um there, there's like a lot of parallels that i for for you know directors that you don't enjoy that much i thought that this would probably kind of like fall into that camp so i was like maybe you won't enjoy this maybe you will enjoy this but i'd be kind of curious as to kind of like suss out where your sensibilities land for, for sure. serious comedy uh so this is very interesting for me. Um, I, I think we're going to probably take a break from comedy for a little bit. Uh, but, you know, maybe this will inform future comedy selections. Well, I think that you, I think this was a good choice in terms of thinking that I, you know, potentially wouldn't enjoy it based on, you know, like you said, directors who I'm not particularly fond of. Um, and, and I guess I shouldn't say that because I don't, I haven't seen John Waters films. I've just, you know, from what I've seen of them and what I know of them, they strike me as movies that aren't particularly, you know, up my alley. Um, yeah. And this um, is, I can see how it would fit along those, those lines as well. I think that, you know, I did enjoy a, a, a bunch of the absurdist humor, but I think just as a full, you know, hour and 40 minute feature, um, it's, it was tough for me to to completely get on board. And that's why I mentioned like a, a lukewarm or like a, a relative thumbs down, like leaning towards slight thumbs down, maybe <laughs> gentle nudge towards <laughs> hell. But, um, but yeah, it's like, I don't, I can understand why someone would, why people would enjoy this movie and you and, and Yovana have mentioned all kinds of, you know, good things about it. Um, but also, you know, it's just like I said. It's it's tough for me to to get fully invested in this and to and to recommend it because it's you know again like as a series of small sketches or you know there's lots of moments in the movie that I really enjoy, but as a whole, it's kind of just like yeah, I don't know that this is something I would ever want to get into again. 
But I think you, you think you're leading yeah. in the right direction here in terms of what you think I would potentially drag me to hell. Yeah, I think this is a good selection. I think this is probably the happiest selection I've made so far. Where I was like, you know, like I like I think you won't like this, but I'm interested to know what you you like what you do think, whether or not you know, like this is like less of me picking something that I think you will absolutely hate, but just yeah. being curious, like whether or not it it, it, it is something you would love or hate because it, it does like you're it, testing the waters. Yeah, I, I feel like this is a, a great selection. I really loved it. Um, and I, th- I think you've kind of like hit all of like your 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 general reactions of like what works and doesn't work for you. So I, th- I think we kind of like skip that that area and just move right towards your your rewards. So okay, uh, I really like this movie. So I think we should start strong, and uh, we can probably go with our our most enjoyed performance. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, for me it's uh, Dom. Lube or Lueb or however you pronounce the last name um as Lisa I think that she's she's wonderful as like the competing or like the foe to uh to Jill um the like you know almost passive aggressive nature everything just reads so so perfectly and her line deliveries everything I thought she uh, thought she was fantastic and enjoyed her performance that's that's my favorite of the film yeah I think I think she's wonderful um all right, and uh, let's go to most enjoyed scene. Yeah, so it's actually one we didn't uh, talk about at all. But I mean, I guess we touched on Jim Cummings being in the film. But I chose the the like what was <laughs> oh, it like yes. the, the vigil or yeah. as the as my favorite yeah. scene because it made me laugh a lot and uh, I enjoyed Jim Cummings. It very much reminded me of a scene in Thunder Road, but uh, <laughs> but just him giving the speech and have nothing to do with. Uh, with Cheryl, yeah, so, who, who yeah. was right, let's, let's break this down. So I sure. didn't include it because it doesn't really like it doesn't give any plot, right. but it is a funny conceit. So they're they're having a candlelight vigil for uh, Cheryl Hode, the yoga teacher that's been killed, and her sister uh, is kind of like heading the vigil, and then decides that uh, in order to remember Cheryl properly, they should get her ex boyfriend up to to say a few words. Uh, who is now with his current girlfriend. Uh, and, and he basically is, is ferried up to, you know, the, the veranda of the home where they're doing the, the, the candlelight vigil. And, and, and this, this scene unfolds. <laughs> like, it's so good. Yeah, I think um, uh, Jim Cummings is a wonderful comedic performer. And also just like, it's really present in Thunder Road more, which I would recommend both of you watch. I think it's a fantastic movie. But uh, just like the the awkwardness uh, that he that he has up there, and then again, just continuing to to veer away from actually talking about Cheryl and just talking about his current girlfriend, who he loves so much. <laughs> I thought that scene was fantastic. That's awesome. I'm so glad you brought it up because again, it's a scene that like I didn't talk about because it doesn't really inform the plot. Like the main characters are there; they watch this unfold. But ultimately, doesn't impact. I don't like. I don't think their relationship at that point. Like, I don't know. I don't think so either. But this is sort of a perfect example of like what I mean by this. It's like a series of sketches. Like, yeah, this could be pulled out of the movie and just put on you know a sketch comedy show, and it would work on its own because you'd understand sort of exactly what's happening, uh, and it just works on its own. But again, hour and forty minutes of all of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh with all that said uh least enjoyed performance in terms of least favorites for the movie it's it's hard to 
for, for, it was hard for me to distinguish because it's like a, an absurdist film. And uh, even if a character is, you know, a little more wooden or the line readings aren't that great, like it's almost intentional. So it's tough for me to like, it's not like, uh, what was it? Scanners. Um, <laughs> there's, no, there's no Stephen Lack yeah, exactly. um, so in terms of least favorite performance I decided to go with the spirit of the movie uh, and go with Icy the dog uh, because I just didn't <laughs> buy him as someone who was previously human yeah um, uh, so, bad dog exactly yeah uh, and then I think the the most important thing for me is least favorite scene because again this will help inform you know movie selection down the road yeah again this one was was tough for me i think honestly this is more a reflection of how i was feeling towards the end of the movie um but i it, the the scene with um where jill goes to the to the house um where she grew up and asks to to come in like uh, it may it seems like such a you know, a nothing scene, like it's not nearly as absurd as, as some of the other ones. But again, by this time, I was just kind of like, this movie needs to be be done. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that scene didn't really feel like it was adding a whole lot of anything, um, including humor. Like, there, you know, the yeah, it was a little bit strange because the woman who played the mother, it felt like for a couple of minutes, like she was just playing it straight, like a like as if she was sort of living outside the universe of this like suburbia that all the other characters came from. Um, so yeah, yeah, I don't know. Again, it's not like a terrible scene by any means, but it was just something where I felt like we're not adding anything here. This isn't particularly funny and uh, this movie should have ended already. Uh, yeah. So, so that's why I chose that one. I kind of liked that the further you go from suburbia the the less the rules of like the like social hierarchy matter yeah. and like it, she she's like very much like the straight person of of like that conversation uh i really liked it and I, it, it does serve the purpose of like her stealing a child to like go to like the final scene right like i, I guess that, i guess that works <laughs> i mean she could have just brought the dog i suppose although he was banned by the referee so um <laughs> Something I didn't mention, which I, I mentioned to Yovana before we were recording, that I love the line, uh, uh, do the kids play soccer on graves that occurs oh, yeah. in, in oh. the final scene. <laughs> then you see like graves where they're playing soccer as if like they're they're existing on like, you know, like like uh, haunted land or something to that effect. Like it, I, everything about it, I love guys everything <laughs> i think i'll just say in conclusion my favorite one-liner or joke i guess it's more than one line is again with miss human and when she asks the class of kids uh does anyone know who the most successful sharecropper in our community's history was and one of the kids goes your mom and she goes that's right it was my mother and talks about her mother's success in sharecropping i mean that's such a classic joke format yeah. um you know like it's not it's not reinventing the wheel it's it's not anything groundbreaking but it was just delivered perfectly she's got great deadpan face yeah. and you know the kid has great timing so i don't know that was that was for me the one that made me laugh the hardest but yeah definitely kind of overall with mitch here that um you know the movie could have could have ended 
sooner. <laughs> Otherwise, you know what? Otherwise, applause for a very unconventional and outside the box and creative and colorful and entertaining, um, you know, and, and a film made by two women starring them as well. Like, it's it's great. I, I, I applaud the existence of this film. Yeah, I'm, su- I'm super stoked that this exists uh, and I will watch it again. Um, but I think that's it for Greener Grass, guys. So uh, our next film, uh, you know, we revealed in our our last episode, I really want to do Cherry Falls next because I don't know how it'll be received because it's such a weird, so it's a slasher film, so we're going back to horror territory. Uh, It it, it stars the late Brittany Murphy, but it's about a a killer that targets versions of a small town, uh, which is obviously the inverse. Uh, they're sort of playing with like genre tropes of like, you know, the, the killers only target the quote unquote amoral, you know, uh, the sexually adventurous characters. Uh, and, and this movie is it's very much the inverse of that. So you have a town that becomes, you know, like obsessed with, you know, their kids having sex. <laughs> like, it's so fucking good. Um, and it's like, it's it deserves more attention. Um so I, I do believe that will be our next film. Okay. Uh, unless uh, unless it's hard to find or I don't know. We'll find out. Sounds good to me. All right. Cool, guys. Uh, so that's it. Uh, say bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs>